Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Sarah Sokas, and uh, here's something I was thinking about in relation to the coming Chag. As we all know, there's a famous debate, which is always the beginning of every discussion about Sokas, about whether the Sukkot are a commemoration of the Ananiya Kovet or the Sukkot Mamish, whether there were clouds of glory, some kind of mystical phenomenon that covered the Jews when they went in the desert, or rather were they simply physical Sukkot, physical huts that the Jews built and lived in for 40 years in the desert. That's the classic Talmudic discussion. Only problem is, what exactly were their sukkahs mamish? What physical sukkahs were there in the desert? We're not told about this anywhere in the Chumash. Moreover, it's not clear what kind of a debate this is. This is a machlokis min akotzel as they call it. Meaning, are the two opinions simply arguing over history? Does Rabbi Kiva, for example, who says sukkahs mamish, does he say there were no clouds of glory? The rathers, what you had in the desert was people living in huts, and that's what we commemorate. And on the other hand, Rabbi Eliezer says, no, 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 there weren't any huts. There was just Sukkot Mamish. There were, uh, excuse me, there were Anani Akavad. There were clouds of glory. Are they arguing over what happened historically? That's possible. Or can the two opinions be dialectically reconciled, which is usually the approach of most commentators? Rashi, in the Gemara, in 11b, says that they constructed Sukkot Mamish, physical Sukkot, to protect them from the desert sun. As he says, quote, Sukkos mamish sukos. Which means, or it sounds like, that when they marched, they had Ananiya covered, clouds of glory. But when the Jews camped, it was physical sukkos. The Netzib says the same thing. This is interesting. But why didn't the Ananiya covered protect them from the sun when they camped? I have a terrace for this, but I'll reserve that for later. So do you see, this opinion of Rashi is uh, understandable, dialectically reconciles both opinions, but it kind of leaves you wondering, why was it that the clouds of glory did their thing when the Jews were mobile moving, but not when they camped? Because of the problems with Rashi's interpretation, it seems, the Ibn Ezra offers a different suggestion. According to him, the Ananiya Kovod did indeed protect from the sun all the time, even when they camped. However, the Ananiya Kovod offered no protection from other elements like rain and cold. Let me quote, Ibn Ezra says that if someone will ask, why is this in Tishrei, which is a cold time of the year, the answer is, that the clouds of glory were only in the daytime. Vashem came, said that the sun rays shouldn't strike them, shouldn't be too hot. When we most Tishrei, but once the month of Tishrei started, notice once you get to the autumn and, and, and winter, Hechil Lasa Sukkos Bavura Kor. Ibn Ezra says that's when they started to construct physical Sukkos for the cold, because 
the clouds of glory only protect them from the sun, but not from the cold. So physical sukkahs, according to this, were for, shall we say, non-solar issues. And the Jews did not construct them until six months after the exodus from Egypt, because it didn't get cold for the whole summer after the Jews left Egypt. I mean, they left in Pesach time, so they were going for six months in, in sunny weather. You usually don't hear this shot, do you? In a refinement, by the way, of this Mahalach, the Prima Gaudin, the famous Achron, says that the Anane HaKavag protected against the rain, but not against the cold, which is a variation of this. And then, my friends, there is this remarkable interpretation of the Sefer Okeach, the great mystic, the Talmud of the Sefer Hasidim. It's a long passage, and I'm going to read it and translate as I go along, so don't get confused for the next two or three minutes. V'yeshma farshim, he says, some say, Kishitsaru al eretz shall that when the Jews, at the end of the story of the Chumash, when they had the wars conquering the Avar Yardin, the cities of the Amori, of King Sichon and King Og, V'yalkrochim shebertz kanat, and later, when the Jews conducted wars and sieges to conquer Canaan, meaning the time of Joshua, Oz Yashu Yisrael Basukos, then the Jews, or the Jewish soldiers, lived in physical sukkahs, or what we would call today some variation of pup tents, or something like that. In other words, you're a soldier, you're out in the battlefield or in siege lines, and you're trying to have some kind of a foxhole situation protect you against the elements, so you knock together a few very primitive pieces of uh, wood, or whatever you can find around you, and that's your sukkah, so to speak. It's not a halachic sukkah like today, but sort of like a military uh, ad hoc little place to sleep and protect yourself against the elements during the war. Kamoshikasu, and there is a Pusik to back this up, where it says, Ha'aron v'Yisrael v'Yehuda v'Yoshim basukos. And that's from the story of David HaMelech and Bathsheba, King David and Bathsheba, when, perhaps you will recall, the king, uh, after he became involved with Bathsheba, tries to bring the husband back, Uriah, Uriah, from the battlefield. There was a war going on at that time in the Transjordanary, in Avra Yarning. And the king says to the husband, why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife? And the husband refuses, saying, how can I do that when my buddies, the general, and all the others are in the battlefield dwelling in sukkahs? What kind of sukkahs? It wasn't the holiday of sukkahs. It means they're dwelling in, uh, like I say, pup tents and, uh, you know, uh, as we would say today, military uh, housing on the battlefield. Vizehu, the... Everything I'm reading is from the Rokeach. So accordingly, when in the Chumash it says that God says, I want you to dwell in Sukkot because it was in Sukkot, I caused the Jewish people to dwell. He's actually referring to something that happened much later than the actual Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, 40 years later, when they were conducting wars against the Canaanite peoples. That's what means. And he goes on to say, And don't be surprised that this is called when I took them out of Egypt, after all, it's 40 years later, the entire period of 40 years or more prior to the conquest and the division of Eretz Yisrael among the Jewish tribes, the Chumash calls that Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. And the meaning of the Pasuk, that so your future generations will know that I, God, put them in, housed them in Sukkos, which according to this means military uh, pop tents, Pshat is, I do not want, God says, future generations who have no historical sense whatsoever to think 
That we have been living continuously and peacefully in Eretz Yisrael ever since the time of the patriarchs, Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, and we never had any wars and we don't need any defense. Wrong. Let the future generations know through the holiday of Sukkot that they left Egypt, but they had to fight for all the lands and cities that they got, and the Rabbanu Shalom put gave it into the hands of the Jewish people, but Israel was was acquired through sacrifice. And in the book of Nehemiah, there's a famous enigmatic passage, which I won't dwell on now, which is, that the Jewish people in the time of Nehemiah, Ezra Nehemiah, built Sukkot, and that was the first time they did it since the time of Joshua. Why does it say, from the time of Moshe, the Rokeach asks, after all, the wars to conquer the Canaanite nations began with Moshe fighting Sichon and Og? The answer is, Moshe only did the first stage. He conquered the Transjordan, where Sichon and Og were. But it was Joshua who concluded the wars and conquered Eretz Yisrael as we know it today, because he led the Jewish people over the Jordan River and conducted the wars of conquest of the seven nations, the Canaanite nations. Accordingly, the Rokeach suggests, So the idea of Sukkot is that the future generation should know that God indeed took them out of Egypt, and he led them through the desert, and he accompanied them in their wars of conquest. And during those wars, the soldiers had to dwell in Sukkot, in huts of some kind or another, pub tents, whatever you want to call it, and they had to do this for a long time until the, the, the conquest was concluded. And this is something you should always have in mind, according to this shita, whenever you celebrate the holiday of Sukkot. That's the end of what the Rokeach says. Now, my friends, this is quite an unusual interpretation. The physical Sukkot, as they say, were primitive pup tents inhabited by Jewish soldiers in the wars against the Canaanites. These wars commenced shortly before the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, who led the battles against Sichon and Og, as you know from reading the Chumash. But the rest of the wars of the conquest of Canaan, of course, took place after the death of Moshe, during the time of Yehoshua. That's what the whole book of Joshua is about. When it says in the Chumash, I placed you in Sukkos when I took you out of Egypt, God is not saying, according to this, when I took you out at the time of the Exodus. Rather, God is referring to something that happened 40 years later, when the Yitzhiz Mitzrayim had been revealed to be a long, drawn-out process because of the Meraglim. So basically, what the Pasuk is saying, God is saying, remember that the land of Israel was acquired through war, through blood, sweat, and tears. You acquired Eretz Yisrael for fight, by fighting for every inch. As I said, this is a very different interpretation. Now in Vayikra, and I invite you to look at the passage of Vayikra and Perak of Kimmel and Emor that we're all going to be looking at when we hear the Kriyas of Torah on Yantav. It says, I took you out of Egypt, placed you in Sukkot. Ordinarily, one thinks of the book of Vayikra as being composed earlier than Devarim. You know, first Cain Brashish, they wrote it down, then Shmos, they wrote it down, and so forth. But according to this Rokeach, the final text of Vayikra, which is referring to something that happened at the very end of the, of the life of Moshe, was written composed and dictated by God just before the death of Moshe, shortly after the war of Sichon and Og. In other words, the war of Sichon and Og happened in the 40th year of the Jews having left Egypt, shortly before the death of Moshe, and now it's being placed in the book of Ikra that this is the meaning of the holiday of Sukkot. 
does this suggest that the Pasuk of Vayikra 42-43, meaning the Pasuk about the Sukkos part, the building of the Sukkah and dwelling in it, was written at the very end of Moshe's life? Could it be that prior to that, the holiday was simply a holiday of the preceding verses, which say, and all that, meaning the holiday consists of taking the Arba Minim, the Lul of the Esra, and and doing things with them, plus the Karbonos. But no building a Sukkah. After all, you could make a whole Chag just out of the Lul of Esra, Gadasa, and the Karbonos. So it's very interesting. In other words, are there two holidays? The one involving the Arba Minim and the Karbonos on the one hand, and then another holiday involving building huts on the other, or whatever you want to call it, which were combined shortly before the death of Moshe into one single holiday? Or was Sefer Vayikra di- dictated in Toto just before the death of Moshe along with other parts of the Chumash? And nothing had to be updated. These are open and interesting questions. Finally, there is the opinion of the Zohar, who says that the Ananiya covered protected Jews by birth, whereas the Eir of Rav, that, who accompanied the Jews in the desert, did not enjoy this protection, so they had to build Sukkos Mamish. So when it says, Ananiya covered, that's for Klal Yisrael. When it says uh, Sukkos Mamish, that's for the Eir of Rav. That's the opinion of the Zohar. In other words, well, let's put it this way. This would seem to be demeaning to the Eir of Rav. On the other hand, maybe not. That is, even though the Eir of Rav caused the Golden Calf episode and all the other complaints in the desert, that's what the Rambam says at the end of the 13th chapter of Hilchas Esurabia, the Eir of Rav were not killed out. They accompanied the Jews in the desert, and eventually, even though they didn't enjoy the Ananiya covet, they, or their children anyway, made it to Eretz Yisrael. To put a PC spin on this last interpretation, seriously, Whoever studies closely the words of the Rambam will see that he is not referring, when he talks about the Erev Rav, to genuine converts, what we call the Geri Tzedek. After all, Moshe Rabbeinu's own stepmother was a Geri Tzedek, and she's one of the very few people, Jewish by birth or not, who actually arrived in the land of Israel. She did not perish in the desert. Rather, Rambam is referring to less than sincere converts. These people, if they wanted to accompany the Bnei Yisrael on their journey in the desert, would have to prove their sincerity by taking care of their own housing needs. That's how it would work out, according to that opinion. The opinion of the Zohar. I mentioned above that I thought of a dialectical resolution of the conflict between the Ananiya Kovet and Sukkot Mamash on my own, which fits in at this point, and I'll share it with you. When Rashi says the Ananiya covered the clouds of glory, or for when they traveled, and the physical Sukkot when they encamped, it might refer to before and after the Chet HaMaraglim. Until that sin, the Jewish people were on a roll, willingly heading towards the Promised Land. There were a few bumps on the way, of course, but they were heading towards Eretz Yisrael. After that sin, it was revealed, which, by the way, was Tishabov, it was revealed that they did not really want to go to Israel. Within a short time, the Bnei Yisrael were grounded for 38 years in Kadesh Barnea. During those 38 years, God would not communicate with Moshe. It was not a great situation. You don't notice this in the Chumash unless you pay very close attention to chronology in Parshas Chukas, which I won't go into now. Um, during this time, no Anani covered protected them from the beating sun and the other elements. They were in a bad relationship with Hashem. So the Jews had to construct then Sukkos Mamish. So the Anani covered were up to the Chedem Raglam when they were in a state of grace, 
And then, for 38 years, they weren't, and they had to build Sukkot Mamish. Thus, both interpretations are correct. They both did happen historically, if this is correct. The debate between Rabbi Eliezer and Akiva would be over which phenomenon this holiday of Sukkot represents, or commemorates. Does it commemorate the building of physical Sukkot when things were not great? In which case, it's sort of like a Musa Shemuz. Or does it commemorate the glorious period prior to that when they were surrounded by Anani Akovid? It will soon be Yontav. So I'll let you work out on your own why you think each Tana feels the holiday of Sukkot represents a different phenomenon. Why do you think Rabbi Akiva maintains that the eternal holiday of Sukkot is always to commemorate the Sukkot Mamish that when they were not in state of grace? And Rabbi Eliezer holds the opposite. But that's up to you. I will simply conclude by saying, Good Yontif. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.